Yes, Honest Actors is back with brand new episodes every Friday. To help me continue releasing new episodes without a sponsor, or to say thanks for your favourite old ones, click the support link in the episode description. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It's a one-off, feeling generous, good deed for the day sort of thing. Think of it as bumping into me and buying me a drink. To find out more, click the support link. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Uh, yeah, mine's a large red. I hate those guys. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And you're on time, man. Oh, thanks. How are you doing? My name is Isaiah Johnson, and you're listening to In Anything at the Minute. Hello, my name's Jonathan Harden, and you're listening to episode 7 of End Anything at the Minute, the Honest Actors podcast. I'm excited about this one because it's a departure in a couple of ways for the show. Firstly, it's the very first episode uh, of which you will have heard nothing in advance. So what I mean by that is all the other episodes so far, episodes 1 to 6, if you've been listening since back in March when I first started putting content uh, on iTunes... You will have heard little extracts uh, leading up to the launch in September. This one, however, did not feature as a teaser. So it's brand new. And there'll be loads more like that as well in the coming weeks and months. But this is the first, so that's exciting. The second thing that's a little bit different is that uh, it's the first full episode recorded via FaceTime. Not by choice, um, because, you know, if I could meet up with an actor in person, I would always choose that. But because there was no other way. The interviewee this week is based in New York and is currently working in New York. Uh, So the only way I could possibly have them on the show would be via FaceTime or Skype. So I hope you enjoyed. I hope it doesn't hinder your enjoyment of the interview too much. I'll be back at halfway uh, to chat to you a bit more as usual. But until then, please enjoy Isaiah Johnson. Um, The first question, can I jump in here with both feet, is how did you get into acting? Um, well, let me just before I do that, I'm I'm trying to scarf down some top ramen. Yep. And so I got into acting by learning how to make a decent meal using top ramen. <laughs> I think that's the first thing any actor should know because you should never not be able to buy top ramen. It's a dollar a pack, but it goes a long way. Yeah, and it'll 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 see you through the good times and the bad times and everything in between. So that's that's your, I mean you're opening with <laughs> you're opening with some top advice. Top ramen advice. So was 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 top ramen a uh, a staple of your youth as well? It was. I spent the first four years of my life in uh, Seoul, Korea. My mother was in the military. Both of my parents were in the military, U.S. Air Force. And so we traveled around a lot when I was growing up. I remember constantly moving, constantly having to, like, you know, re-identify myself in every place that we went to. And I think that kind of started some of the foundation, at least for my comfort in acting or my comfort in putting on costumes and masks because every place you go to you know you have to you know it's 
it's ethnically diverse, it's uh, geographically diverse, and you have to learn how to adapt pretty quickly. And I think that there, you know, that's a story that's congruent among several other actors I've talked to. So at the same time, though, uh, it's not necessarily an environment in which you'd expect a young person with a tendency towards performance to flourish is it a, a kind of military upbringing you know your yeah were your parents in any way interested in performance um or was it something that was a total shock to them whenever you started to show a not only a tendency for it but i assume a talent for it at a young age as well yeah absolutely they both of my parents uh as i was growing up were um you know, were fluent musicians. They both played the piano fluently and sang. Um, and so I always grew up in the arts. They loved the arts. I remember, you know, my father definitely taking me to see theater. And uh, I saw him do several plays when I was growing up. That definitely had a big influence on me because, you know, when we would go visit him in the hotel room after the show was done, the sheer joy and elation that I would experience from him in the hotel room i didn't feel like i had experienced that from him in the home mm. that was something that i identified with pretty early on and i think i knew that okay if everything else doesn't work out i can fall back on acting <laughs> I, I didn't commit myself into being a professional actor until i was um maybe you know like halfway through university maybe like in my third year well, for me, I think it happened a little earlier. For me, I kind of considered being an actor when I joined the union, you know, um, which I guess at the time, you know, I joined the union back in 2003, 2004. I was in college. I ran out of money. My student loans didn't go through. And so I had to take a year off of college, two non-consecutive semesters. And so uh, college meaning university. Yeah. And, um, and then I went out and just you know, got a regular job. I was living out of my car for about three months, um, couch surfing with friends because I got kicked out of the door. And I had gotten a regular job. Somewhere in that time span of getting a regular job, I went and auditioned for this musical called Once on This Island. And the choreographer of that production was directing another production. And basically, I got cast in both shows in one audition. And because I those were two equity shows, and I got my equity card right. that way. And I think from that point on, I was like, okay, yeah, I am a professional actor. I'm getting paid for what I do. It's not like volunteering at the community center, and you know what I mean, like yeah. And even then, it 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 came in a very safe way. It came in a way that I was like, okay, I love education. Like I love teaching. And I love the arts. I can put these two loves together and maybe later on start a charter school, you know, like an uh, arts and education charter school, K through 12, um, with kind of a holistic uh, development approach to teaching and to learning. Yeah. And then and it wasn't until I was applying to get my master's in theater education and I got turned down. And two days after I got the denial letter, I got a call from NYU graduate acting program to come audition for their program that year they didn't have enough applicants that they enjoyed or that they thought were right for the program and so they extended the audition period and then they asked the current students if they knew anybody that they think would be a good fit and a friend of mine who was at the school at that time was graduating um he recommended recommended me for the program and so i think i went into the audition process 
you know, feeling like I really had nothing to lose and I wasn't completely sure about what I had to gain. So it was, I think the pressure for me was very different in the sense where I think it, it was less, you know, I just went about it as if it were just an opportunity to just express myself. Uh, um, so I didn't have kind of a buildup of like, oh my God, NYU and sweating bullets in a waiting room with 50 other people. It wasn't like that. One of the things but, I, li- I, like to yeah. do, I like to do with this is to say, we'll not talk about jobs beyond this point, really, but if, mm-hmm. you, if you could pick one thing you've done right up to the present uh, that could stand for you. So for the people who listen who have never heard of Isaiah Johnson before, um, if you could introduce yourself to them and say, listen, this is the job I'm most proud of, what would that job be? Um, I got a call from, I was at a point in my life where I wasn't doing shit regarding acting. I was helping this guy start up this bar and I was bartending at this other place and kind of squeezing the unemployment check whenever I could. And, um, you know, and I was really, had gotten to the point where I was like desperately hungry for anything to chew on artistically. I was like, I will read the Star Spangled Banner on the street corner. I don't care. I just want something to, 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 to do. I had an agent and a manager, but it was, a, it was 2013. It was a dry, dry year. It was like the Great Depression for actors. And I don't know if that was the same for everybody, but for African-American male actors, it was dry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um and I had this manager that I had just signed with during this dry season and it was just like things weren't really gelling with him and I was making me feel shitty and I was like, man, this is the worst. And then I got a call from a friend of mine who was working with this wee small Shakespeare company and they were doing this production of Othello like out of this community center theater. And the Othello that they had, two weeks into performance, either got fired or quit. I never really got the straight story on that, and I didn't really want to know. But either way, it was not working out between him and Desdemona. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so they called me in to see if I would come and basically finish out their production in the role of Othello. And so because I was at that desperate place in my life, my heart, my mind, my spirit, my body was primed, ready to like, for like the best boot camp scenario. Yeah. You know, my yeah. confidence level was just like, I just want it. I just want, I'm all about the work. Like, I just want to chew on the material. And because of that, thankfully, you know, I was able to pretty much get off book in about a week and a half. Um, but that was an amazing, amazing experience, man, just because I think it proved to me that when someone is dedicated to their craft, there's absolutely nothing they can't do. And I hadn't done, you know, I had done Shakespeare before that, but definitely never done Othello. I hadn't even read Othello before that production. I read it for the first time when I was trying to get off book for it. But it was just one of those magical moments where whatever my version of Othello was going through, we just gelled, man. Me and the character just clicked. I kind of, I felt like I understood exactly what he was saying. Um, 
you know, it just kind of, it kind of worked with where I am, where I was in life at that time. What's lovely about it is you didn't have to audition for it, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's so, the, the inhumane process of auditioning. It's so, inhumane. So do, you, <laughs> so do you enjoy auditions? Hell no, I'm terrible at auditioning. I am terrible at auditioning. Every now and then I'll hit like a nice one where I'm in. To me, a good audition is just an audition that you don't come away feeling shitty about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like whether you get the job or not, a good audition is an audition that you go on and actually have a bit of fun with yourself or with the reader or whoever or with the people in the room. But most of the time, it's not that way. I mean, think about it. You're asking an artist to take a piece of material for what, two, three days, maybe a week? Maybe. And come in and give you some resemblance of what a performance after five weeks would look like. It's insane. It makes no sense. I don't know why we still do it. As a matter of fact, the only thing we should be auditioning, we should still be using monologues like back in the day. You come in, give us a monologue, something that you've been living with for a while. Yeah. You know, but like to ask somebody to come in and like, oh, we want to hear you read the text. It's like, do you really need that? You know, just... Yeah, I hate I hate to make you relive painful experiences, but I'm I'm going to so deal with it. Um, <laughs> just when you said there, I I'm terrible at auditions. I've heard that quite a lot from people, not just in this podcast, but you know, when you're chatting to the actors, they say, "Oh, I'm terrible at auditions." What does that mean? Like, when what does a terrible Isaiah Johnson audition look like? How does it go? Man, a it goes, you know. The night before, two days before, when you know you're nowhere near off book as you should be. So it already starts Whoa, 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 whoa. This is the guy who learned Othello in a week and a half. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But I didn't have to audition. So I had already gotten the job. (laughs) What's a particularly bad audition you've done? Like, how bad does it get? I mean, how bad is bad? I mean, shit, man. I think... I think it's like, you know, I was auditioning for um, Six Degrees of Separation, which is one of the kind of iconic roles for black male actors in contemporary work. It was for Wilson. They were doing it at Williamstown. He was in the room, which I didn't know he was going to be in the room, but he was in the room. And I get in there and I had worn some like weird preppy looking thing, trying to like give a, I don't know, some kind of resemblance of the cat. It was just embarrassing. And I just went in and I just was not off book enough to really communicate the idea of what it was and fucking up his words in front of his face. It was just bad. It was bad. So so on the flip side, do you know when an audition has gone well? Totally. Totally. Whether I'm off, I mean, an audition has gone well when I can go in there Take the words off the page. It doesn't mean I'm completely off book, but I could at least, you know, I don't have to like be glued to the page where I can actually have eye contact with the reader, you know, um, and and I'm ready to play. So I'm familiar familiar enough with the material that I can play with it. All right, if they ask me to do something, I can do it. Let's let's say uh, the audition goes, you know, average. Um, yeah. How important do you think is is luck, both in that kind of situation, but just generally in, in an actor's career? Do you think luck plays a significant role? Um, luck is something that 
you as the actor have absolutely no control over like you know what i mean like yeah um yeah luck is like uh like there's actual real shit happening that you have not aware of that is not has nothing to do with luck but it we describe it as luck so it seems like it's coming from the gods to us because you know but actually who knows there's like a whole myriad of reasons why yeah somebody would get a job and who knows i mean i was i was watching this program the other day and they were talking about um how johnny depp got cast in nightmare on elm street or Mm -hmm. or was it 21 jump street whichever one of those roles that like made him famous the director didn't like him didn't really think twice about him but he had his audition on tape he was at home looking over the auditions again his 12-year-old daughter was happened to be sitting next to him and was like, oh, who's that? And he's like, what do you mean, who's that? Who's that right there? It was Johnny Depp. And he was like, you like him? She was like, yeah. And he got the part. Yeah. That's, That's luck, To man. us, to, to Johnny Depp, That's he luck. feels like he got lucky as hell. But to the director sitting there, like... Nobody else is thinking about luck except the person that needs the job. So, so that's an, that's an interesting point to jump into uh, talking about big breaks. Do you believe in the notion of a big break? And uh, do you think you've ever had one? Have you ever felt like you've been in the midst of one? Whether or not it's proven to be a big break or not. I mean, what are your thoughts on a big break? Um, I think, you know, the big break is like... Uh, there are roles that give you a greater opportunity to be seen but like the i think the big break as we're used to describing it i definitely don't think of the big break as like this is the opportunity that will get me everything that i've ever dreamed i think big break i think a big break is when you realize that you are getting an opportunity that's on par with your talent with your ability with what you've been working towards. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. To me, that's a big break. Like, you know you've been busting your ass, you've been working on your craft, you've been doing and you've been doing great, and you feel, you know, like you are not really doing work that is challenging you to your highest potential because you've grown as an artist. When you get an opportunity that actually challenges you where you are, that is a big break. But that's a big break equivalent to another step in the direction of life that you're trying to go. Just a quick interruption from me here to say uh, something I haven't actually said for quite a number of weeks. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do leave a rating and a review on iTunes. It takes all of 30 seconds and it makes a huge difference in terms of search engine results and just making sure that the maximum amount of people can get access to the podcast. So if you think this is worth sharing, then one of the ways that you can help get it out there is by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. Full details of how to do that, by the way, are on the website, www.inanything.com. Just press play on the video on the front page. If you've already done that, there are lots of other ways you can support the podcast. Namely, follow on Twitter at Honest Actors, like on facebook.com forward slash Honest Actors, and please join the mailing list on the website. So go to www.inanything.com and enter your email address when prompted. That's it for now. Back to Isaiah.
So if all those things are uh, both lucky and the culmination of hard work, like you say, working on your craft, um, let's talk about whenever you're unlucky. What's the longest you've ever gone without working? Uh, I think, man, you know, without anything, uh, you know, uh, see, Ah, without like like bone dry nothing at all well let's let's say first of all what's the longest you've went without any work at all uh anything at all you know maybe like two or three months so two two or three months i mean that that 2013 the drought the you know the dry spell of 2013 that was still that was still broken up with occasional little bits and pieces yeah yeah of course so um so yeah. so in that uh, in those periods, has it gotten easier to any easier at all to be unemployed? Um. Uh, well, now the context of that question for me has changed completely because I have a family now. You know, I have a son and a fiance, and so everything, whatever I bring in the house, is for the family. So yeah, I mean, you 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 make money stretch a little differently. I think. When you're single and on an unemployment check, you know how much you're going to get per week. And, you know, you play hooky with it. You're like, okay, I can spend 50 bucks this week because I know I got this $150 reading coming up and I'll get that together for rent. You know what I mean? Like you kind of play hooky with it. But, you know, once you have to start being more responsible with your money, you, you know, you make $20 less as long as you can, man. Being a father then, do you feel... A different kind of pressure. I mean, uh, one kind of pressure is financial, but the other kind of pressure, is, I suppose, is that long game thing, which is Solomon's what, like six months old, maybe? Yeah, eight, eight months now. Yeah. So, so Solomon's eight months old, and you know, does that at this very early stage, do you think ahead to making him proud? Does that play on your mind? No, not at all. Uh, I don't. Well, think it about should. That. Well, it should. <laughs> I don't I don't really think about that. What I do think about, however, though, like talking just basics is just like how am I going to like give him a home? How am I going to provide financial stability for the family? You know, where are we going to live? How much are we going to have to pay? Is it going to be a mortgage or how long are we going to pay rent? Like do we need to cut like basic stuff? Yeah. You know, do we need a car? When do we buy a car? Yeah, and your fiance is your fiance is creative as well. So, so she is, which makes it extra hard because we both go through this like fluctuation of drought and work and drought and work. So, so I think now we're both in the position like we're trying to figure out. Okay, we need to find a hustle that is going to put money in the bank consistently, even when we're not working. Yeah. You know, much like you guys have explored in writing and whatnot and photography. And you just yeah. got to find something that sustains you. I suppose one of the things is um, is interesting then is do you find that kind of uh, that need to provide? Does it make it difficult for you to be happy for friends when they're successful? Do you ever find yourself or have you found yourself in the past, as a, you know, as a single man, you know, back in the day? Did, have you found yourself struggling to be happy for friends when they're successful? Ever, has jealousy ever been an issue with you? 
Um, not necessarily jealousy, but I, I mean, I remember one year when I was really trying to like go at TV and film. Like I really felt like I was like ready to make that jump and I really wanted a, a TV gig. You know, I remember then it maybe started to creep up just like, dang, everybody's getting like every time I turn on the TV, I see like thousands of people that I know. So <laughs> on one hand, it's like, oh, it makes me feel closer to my objective. But on the other hand, it's just like, not that guy. Really? Like, really? So, you know, but the TV thing is a whole that machine right there. Talk about quote unquote luck. Yeah. That machine is you it you really have to go through it with a fine tooth spiritual comb, man. Like you I, what I mean by that is that you you have to stay really, really intact with yourself going into that business and in deeper into TV and film because it's so based on nothing that you can control. But I have found myself, yes, I have found myself being quite envious of when I see like more and more and more and more actors that I've worked with closely, you know, kind of getting some significant TV stuff. It's because of the amount of money that it generates you know, and you're mm. you're looking at your bank account. And you're like, dang, how am I going to make this work? And then you know that one good TV gig, and I, I don't mean like, I mean like a reoccurring or a series regular. Yeah, can totally change the game because even if you're on a a pilot, if it's on like a major network, you're still making a lot of money. For those thirteen episodes, like even if the show goes off, it's not yeah. like yeah. theater. Yeah, the theater show closes. You are pretty much you probably have made enough to pay your, maybe your next two rents, but other than that, you're still as broke as you were before you got the job. Yeah. So is the financial is the financial element the most difficult thing about being an actor? Is that what's hardest? For me, it is, and I think it's different for everybody. For me personally. It's the the finance. I mean, it's one of the only things that really kind of makes me anxious, you know, is like the money part. But for some actors, it's not that. For some actors, it's like, man, you know, I feel like I'm a really good actor, but I can't sing. And as a black male actor, if I don't sing, there's so much work that I'm not going to be able to get. Because unfortunately, nobody's writing a lot of plays for African-American male and female actors to do. There's just not a lot of... It's not like the plays aren't out there. It's just producers aren't really producing a lot of plays for us to do. Are you are you conscious then of things being markedly more difficult for you because of your ethnicity? Totally, totally. It's changed a lot in the 11, 12 years that I've been in the business. It's changed a great deal. But yeah, definitely. I mean, like... For example, like when I was saying in 2013, I was specifically saying it was dry for me and the people that are in my type because, you know, I had some other white male lead counterparts who were stressed out because they had too much material to memorize in the <laughs> amount of time for the audition. Like literally during that time period, I was helping other people get off book for their TV auditions. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, it's... It, it kind of comes and goes. And now we have, you know, Hollywood is come. Everybody wants to do a New York theater play. So that kind of pushes the rest of us aside who have been 
plugging away all these years, you know? Yeah. Because the producers want to make their money, and they know that the quickest way to make it is to put Hollywood in there, and then all of middle America just wants to see that person in the flesh. Yeah. Are you ever aware of doing a job that's changed you as a human being? Yeah, man. Every every job that I do, I, honestly, it, it sounds, you know, kind of cliche, but it's true. I am changed by every single job that I do because I get the opportunity I get time to be changed by it. I mean, in the four weeks, if you're consistently interested in investing, investing more and more and more of yourself, accessing more truth, then the chances of you tapping into something in yourself that, you know, either you haven't dealt with or you've dealt with are pretty high. Yeah. Uh, you know? So, so to take that a little bit further, is there a psychological impact to what we do? Is there a potential negative in that? Do you ever find yourself marked with with the darkness of a character, for example? Oh yeah, totally. Like now, the character I'm doing right now, he's he's so misguided. He's definitely the the the, the most kind of um, antagonistic character that I've ever played. I and uh, like unapologetically antagonistic, and not really having anything to blame but himself. Uh, meaning it's not precipitated within the context of the story by any one thing that we could say, oh, well, he was good, but this happened. Yeah. And so I, so while I'm doing this role, I've definitely noticed that my patience is pretty thin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my patience is pretty, pretty thin. Like, so I do don't. Do you find it difficult to shake that? Is that what you're saying? You find it difficult to kind of discard that after spending a day with those particular uh, characteristics or trying to inhabit that particular role? Yeah, I mean, I think, it, you know, I think once once the, once the show that I'm doing now, once it opens, then I'll be able to let go because I'm not, the exploration to, like, find the thing isn't so high. Yeah. Yeah. You know, once the show is locked, it's kind of set. And you're like, okay, the, the path that I've charted for myself to, to, to just tell this story, it's a well-charted path, and all I have to do is tell the story. Right now, I'm still kind of exploring all the little, you know, grass ways and stick paths and all the shitty shit outside of the, the, the smooth, yeah. clear road. Um, so once the show opens, I think I'll feel better. But yeah, sometimes... Sometimes it's hard to shake, man. I've done roles that literally gave me nightmares at night, you know? And I think what I learned from that was I I needed to go that deep just to say that I know what it's like to go that deep. But I didn't necessarily need to do it for the role. Yeah. It kind of it takes a little bit of a jump at this point because this is where I start to think uh, what what are the, what are the little bits in my normal routine have I left out and one of the one of the significant ones is I haven't asked you one of the big questions which is have you ever considered giving up? Man, yeah, I, every day. Honestly, every day, there's not a day that goes by that I don't at least at one point in the day be like why the fuck am i doing this like why don't i just go and just find a regular well-paying job and just be happy with that or why don't i go out and find a regular well-paying job make money and then go do plays later 
why can't I sacrifice this for a greater good? <laughs> so I'll ask that question to you then. Why can't you sacrifice this? Dude, I can't let it go. It's because it's because it's it's the only thing that I in my heart and mind do well. Like I know how to do this job. It's like a drug. You can't get high enough. There's no drug addict that's like, oh my God, that I got too high. <laughs> I don't yeah it's, you can't it's too good. get high enough good. yeah so so listen if you if you think you're good at it right so you, you said you do it well you're proficient at it it's the only thing you feel like you're you, you can do to that level do you consider yourself successful um yeah i do i've been i'm lucky though as we said earlier yeah i'm fortunate i consider myself successful what is success i can actually Huh? What is success? Man, paying rent doing this. If I can pay my rent doing this unrealistic job, then that I'm successful. I am working now to actually try to attain what other people have in their job, which is financial stability. That's what I'm working on now. Do you, do you remember uh, a show called Quantum Leap? Love quantum leap. Right. Okay. So you're you're Doctor Sam Beckett. You go back and you can offer, in this case, yourself some advice. What advice might you give a younger Isaiah Johnson? Learn a trade. <laughs> Become proficient at a trade. Something that people need every day. And they have to have it every day and you are the only one that can give it to them and you get paid immediately for it. Learn a trade. Something. Um, quick fire. What makes you angry? What makes me angry about the industry? Yeah. Uh, I, what makes me angry about the industry is its treatment of um, women, specifically women of color, but definitely women. I hate the fact that this is, you know, out of everything that we've learned to accept about ourselves as a human race through the industry, it's still a very male-dominated, like, an intentionally male-dominated world, and I don't understand what that's about. Yeah. I feel like the men in this industry, more so than any industry, have been touched, moved, and blessed and changed by women. And I don't understand why we still are not opening the door and allowing them to come and run shit. And Listen, that's what I worry about. We're, we're just about done. Um, yeah. And we're pretty much on time as well, which is awesome because I know you're very busy. The last question of the night, are you in anything at the minute? Uh, yes, I am currently uh, in the reimagining of color purple the musical uh and it's a revival um but it's been totally reimagined by john doyle and i'm playing the role of mister and that's it for another fortnight uh thanks to isaiah johnson for taking time out of what is an incredibly busy time for him between uh rehearsing and previewing the same show which opens this week so thanks isaiah 
if this sounds a little bit different to all the other uh, all the other sections of the podcast, and also a little bit poppy, uh, there you go. Uh, it's because I'm currently underneath a duvet in a hotel room. I thought I had recorded this at home before I uh, came to Ireland, and I hadn't. Well, I had, but it hadn't saved properly. So, and I found myself under a duvet in a hotel room trying to uh, bring this to a close. All I really wanted to say, oh, the most important part was uh, to welcome any new listeners from North America who may have discovered the podcast for the first time because of an interest in Isaiah. So welcome to you. Please do go back and listen to episodes one to six. Uh, if you enjoyed this one, you should enjoy those as well. For everyone else, thanks for coming back. There will be another podcast episode in a fortnight episode number eight. Until then, as always, there's loads of content going online at the blog www.inanything.com forward slash blog and that includes over the next fortnight quite a number of guest articles from actors based in North America so keep an eye out for those I can barely breathe under this TV so I'm going to say goodbye Uh, thanks for listening, speak to you soon Ever. Uh, but thank you also oh God. please do go back and listen to the other uh, and also uh, fuck uh, quite a number of consu- fuck it's too warm speak to you soon oh god